Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Jeskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Why is it so hard to get out of bed? I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Because the thing that they don't tell you growing up about life is this. Life, hmm, it's every single day. <laughs> everybody and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z. Today we are fortunate to have one of my favorite comedians who is uh, just a great friend as well. Mr. Gary Goldman is joining us today. He has a wonderful HBO special called The Great Depression as well as well as just uh, being on the road a lot. You can always see him and he will be where Billy Joel was many years ago on November 13th, 2021 at Carnegie Hall. So please welcome to the program and a huge Billy Joel which we just found out for the perfect person to wrap up the G's, Gary Goldman. Everybody. Oh, nice, nice. Hi, hi, gentlemen. It's good to it's good to be here and to see you guys and to and to discuss our our Billy Joel. I can't believe it. So Elon and I were at, we were celebrating my birthday at the Comedy Cellar, and Gary sat down with us, and it was so great to hang out with you for so long because we hadn't seen each other in a while, obviously just COVID related and other things. And we couldn't believe when you said what we told you. What? Well, we're doing this show; it's not everybody's cup of tea. And you're like, "What are you talking about? I'm a huge Billy Joel fan." And uh, I, we couldn't believe we're like, well, you have to come on where we wrap up. And then we realized the G's, of course, this makes the most sense for Gary Goldman to come on. And you even told us that your favorite song was it's a uh, good night, Saigon. Right. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is so funny. We just completed that song, you know, as part of the G's and Elon and I were we were like not. Both of us said we weren't looking forward to really doing that one because it's not our favorite, I guess, because it's a little sad. And then when we re-listened, we kind of liked it more. We got a little bit more of an appreciation for it. I can't believe that's your favorite song or one yeah, of your favorite. I, I, I mean, I really I had never heard it when it when it was contemporary in that it I guess the, the thing is, when you're in college, if if a song is a year old, then it's really old. It's an oldie. <laughs> right. But it wasn't until a year after that I was taking this this Vietnam class in in college that was just it was riveting, but also heartbreaking. Like, I don't, I don't know if this happened to you guys when you were in school, but they would they would get to the part of history where World War Two ended. And then it was like pretty much the last day of school. And they would they would just squeeze everything that happened after World War Two <laughs> into, into a 15 minute wrap up at the right before they sent you home early on the last day of school. So I didn't I didn't really know much about the Vietnam War, except that it was it was tragic and it was controversial. And so I took this course. It was a semester long. I read three or four books concerning the Vietnam War, heard from lecturers, saw documentaries, and, and they were all great. They were all very informative. But the thing that really encapsulated the whole thing to me the best was that Billy Joel song when I heard it for the first time in those circumstances. And, and it just I mean, the, the thing that surprises me when I tell people I'm a huge Billy Joel fan or when we were discussing it that night was just like you said, that there are some people who aren't a Billy Joel fan. I just 
how can you not be a fan of the musical equivalent of a 74 degree day, sunny, no humidity? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's just feeling good. Yeah, I don't I don't understand it. It's there's I don't know. I I think, you know, some people are just going to hate for no reason. Yep. I I think it's because Billy Joel isn't very cool. Right. And so. people say they don't like Billy Joel. It's because they're self-conscious about looking good. And if someone can just release that and just like hit a a Zen like state, they will admit, you know what? I love Billy Joel. That's really interesting. Did we discuss the Chuck Klosterman essay? I don't. Yeah, we did. We talked about that a little bit. I must. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I was switching liquors that day. Sorry. (laughs) Klosterman felt that the, the difference between Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel, their popularity was that, Springsteen was so cool. I don't know if that's the case, but I think you're, you're right, Elon. I think for some for some people, it is it is about looking cool or or not embracing something that's as as widely popular. But I I just nobody has had a a, a really convincing argument for why I shouldn't I shouldn't love Billy Joel. So I I just continue. Well, we go through this a lot. And the funny thing is when you take, you see the thing about Springsteen is, and I don't really care for him that much, but he's so serious. (laughs) And, you know, that's like every song is serious. So it's just not for me, let alone. He never, we realized during the taping of this, he guys never had a job and he never went to Vietnam. (laughs) So, but it's like, I'm like, but uh, whatever, whatever, everybody loves him. And then um, with Billy Joel, it's like, uh, it's really the same thing. But he makes a little bit more. He'll make Vietnam a little bit more uplifting song to like. Well, it becomes fun. He'll put helicopter noises in it. <laughs> yeah. He'll say I, knife, 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 knife. I don't. I don't know that Bruce Springsteen has never had a job. He just never had a factory job. Well, we we've decided we had this person, a Julian Velarde. He hasn't had a job since he's been seventeen. So it, you know that's all. Yeah, I mean, if you if you are as dedicated to being a writer and a musician at, at 17 as, as he was, I can't, I can't begrudge him that I'm, we're not here to denounce Bruce Springsteen. We are here to lift up Billy Joel and recognize his no, great, but you know, you know what it is, Gary, it's the same thing as winning an Oscar. Like, like if we know Hannah and her sisters, which is like an amazing Woody Allen movie is terrific and it doesn't get, or crimes and misdemeanors and it doesn't get recognized because it's funny you know, and the ones that are so serious get recognized that there's the difference. You know, there's yeah. the difference between Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen's so serious and so in your face and Billy Joel, you know, he can write a good night Saigon, but he can also write an uptown girl, you know, yeah. and, and, and I guess <laughs> yeah. that's that you can choose whether to think that's cool or not. Yeah, true. True. I agree with that. But how did you first was that how you first got into Billy Joel? Because no, I mean, Saigon? he was he was he was pretty inescapable for from me growing up just with the radio we always listened to the radio and car rides and everything and then i remember mtv came along and he was he had some really good videos and he had he had hit songs that were playing on the radio all the time too the 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 radio dial wasn't as as uh as stratified as it as it got later in the in the 80s and 90s and and so you could hear billy joel on a number of different different radio stations in massachusetts so i i i always liked them but i didn't get to the deeper cuts and i i didn't get to the more obscure stuff until 
after college when I, I had this really close friend who made me a, a mixtape, which I know sounds like a romantic thing, but it was <laughs> it, it was a, a really good friend thing. And he put like it was the first time I heard and you, you'll you'll probably think this is is pathetic, but I had never heard Summer in Highland Falls. I had never heard Stiletto. I had never heard um, Captain Jack. I mean, th- these huge goodbye to say goodbye to Hollywood. Um, so many, so many huge hits. And then there was this uh, record store that was selling all of Billy Joel's CDs for five ninety nine, <laughs> which, which at the time CDs were at least twelve ninety nine. So I bought all the old stuff, Cold Spring Harbor and 52nd Street and, and Piano Man Turnstiles for $5.99 on a credit card that I'm probably still paying off. <laughs> and, then, and then I bought a disc man because I couldn't afford an entire stereo. And I just listened to these these albums and and or or connected them to my to my car uh, cassette player. And and I just I couldn't get the thing that that really cemented my my allegiance was was songs in the attic. I could not get over how strong that was from beginning to end. It's wow. it's the best it's the best Billy Joel value going. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, we've had a lot of guests that are about around our age. You know, you're younger than me and Elon's younger than both of us by you know many years. And everyone has said that's how it started. Like they got in college, they discovered the hits. Yeah, and then they went back. Because that's yeah. exactly what happened to me. I was in college during the Nylon Curtain. So Goodnight Saigon, you know, was my college years. And then I went back and yeah. discovered the rest of the catalog. And I never heard Summer Highland Falls before either. And that became my favorite song. And yeah, I never heard any of that stuff. And as we've been doing this podcast, it's really funny. I realize I've never heard anything off Cold Spring Harbor. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even realize and, to, and now we've been discovering it and it's been really fun. We, we're like, we've turned into one of those, what are those videos called, Elon? A reaction videos. Reaction videos. <laughs> right. oh, it's, like, it's like, see a 58 year old man discover Billy Joel for the first time. <laughs> That's so cool. I, I think that when, when you talked about Billy Joel not being serious enough, he has probably my two favorite songs regarding mental illness, depression. And I've listened to a lot of them over the years. I'm I'm drawn to them, but tomorrow is today off of off of Cold Spring Harbor and Summer in Highland Falls are are two of the best representations of of depression and anxiety and and bipolar disorder that I've I've ever come across. I I, I mean it's 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 uncanny and it's it's interesting because he he's not known as a guy who's been depressed, but he's been as open about it as as any other artist he's he's really brave in that way yeah he's been very open about it and i think the story with tomorrow is today is that he wrote it basically as a suicide note i think his friend yes. found it on the table and was like what the hell is this really and then I've, and then I've he drank heard it. Uh, furniture polish to try to kill himself oh i remember that story i remember him saying that because my friend danny vermont i don't know if you know him gary he works at uh bill Maher show and uh, he was a huge we've had him on because he was a huge, huge or he is a huge Billy Joel fan. And he told me he like he, he was so into Billy Joel. He wanted to commit suicide with furniture polish. You know? oh my God. <laughs> like, I remember but I remember that story him saying because I was also, you know, I think the reason why we get along is I fall into those big depression things as well. Uh, certainly when I was in high school, I was uh, there's been three times in my life when it's been bad. 
And I remember his story because he would make fun of it and saying, well, I did something stupid. I tried to do furniture polish because for me, I, I I tried to ride the bad subways at nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) That was my big plan. I'm like, somebody, maybe they'll do it for me. (laughs) Yeah. Tomorrow is, is today is, I mean, and and it predates Groundhog Day, but it's pretty much the theme of Groundhog Day. Oh God! See now, I can't wait to. I can't believe I've never heard. Dave this can't song. hear it for we the next like six months. Can't wait until we get months. to the T's. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wonder if because I've never met anybody who's met him. Do you? Do you guys know anybody who's ever met him? Well, I got to this. We've told this story before. I, I got. I saw him twice when he was at the Saturday Night Live guest. We, I had for, uh, once, I guess, when Sarah and uh, Tell were on the show. So they got me in because he was there. And another time when somebody else was working there. And then I go to the after parties. And there was one time where I have a gambling problem. So it was before the internet. So I was getting the sports scores from the payphone, like the Hawaii score at three in the morning. And he was talking to somebody else. And I told him to shut up because I couldn't get, you know, it cost money to get those scores. <laughs> that was the only time we met because uh, I couldn't talk to him any other way. <laughs> That's you told Billy Joel to shut up. I have a gambling problem. It overtook meeting <laughs> Billy Joel. <laughs> oh my word. That's no, that, that should have been. Was that your bottom as far as gambling went? I would, you'd think so, but it got you much worse than that. So, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was like it was in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I'm trying to use the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was just looking at me like, Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, you had to pay money. You had to hear the scores all over and wait for that Hawaii score at the end. So it cost like 75 cents a minute. <laughs> I was getting upset. I know I felt like an idiot. I'm like, God, I really got a problem. I just told my hero to shut up. This is not good. And what was his what was his presence like? Was he he's a, he's not a tall man, right? No, he's definitely not tall because we noticed that. What was that video, Elon? Uh, oh, he's playing with the Charlie Daniels band. Right. They're doing they're doing great balls of fire. And so Charlie Daniels brings Billy Joel out and Charlie Daniels must be like at least your height, if not taller. And Billy is maybe five foot five or something like that. A normal you really Jew see. Height. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it's, then it's noticeable how tiny he is. It's funny. But yes, yeah. he's tiny in person, too. Like when, you know, we're standing head to head. He's definitely. Well, that's the other thing about, I think, why people. So he's not your typical rock star. He right. doesn't have the looks and, uh, you know, the, the, the prowess, I guess, of what a rock star in our minds is supposed to be. And that's probably half the issue with people saying it's not cool. Yeah. I, all the people at uh, Madison Square Garden will tell you differently once a month. Right. Right. And he doesn't he doesn't wear his hair long. He doesn't have an earring. He's he's ever. Normal. He never even went through a phase where he was trying yeah. to be cool. Yeah. He kind of had that Afro thing going a bit for a while. That, yeah. that never looked cool. And that's why in Gary, like, you know, again, our, you know, our we're pretty similar in age, you know, a guy like that's going to start dating Christy Brinkley. We're all in, <laughs> you know, that, that <laughs> believe it or not, that was a contributing factor in winning me over. I idolized any Jew <laughs> who, could, who could pull that type of Shiksa goddess. Exactly. That's why David Copperfield and Claudia Schiffer were my favorite couple for a long time. You know, Hitler was turning over in his grave with that one. <laughs> and Arthur Miller is my favorite playwright. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, Billy Joel definitely had that factor. I'm like, wait a minute. If he can get, he must, there's something special going on here. Yeah. As if the songs weren't good enough. We still needed proof. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting, but it also, it also showed you the power of, of show business. Yes. The power of show business and writing a good, so being able to play the piano in front of a woman or a guitar. 
You know, yeah. And then he writes a song like Christy Lee for her and she still likes him. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And that's the worst song of like any of his songs. For All the songs he's written for his girlfriends have been awful. There was a new one in 2007 called, what is it? All My Life, right, Ilan? Yeah, that is a uh, new wife. For Katie Lee, not Christy Lee. And it's uh, one of the worst songs we've ever heard. Oh, man. It wasn't Katie- terrible, but it wasn't great. It was pretty bad. He came out with two new songs in 2007, that one and Christmas in Fallujah. Otherwise, there's been nothing since 1994. Oh, yeah. That Christmas in Fallujah is a heavy one, too. Yeah. But but a good one in a re-listening. We we he's good like that. Captain Jack of getting to that anthem goal, you know, just the, the you got the verse. Yeah. And then when he gets to the chorus, it builds. He is the best at that. Yeah, yeah it's I know what he does in Goodnight Saigon, though, because like Christmas in Fallujah is kind of quiet and then it does build to a high note, just like the choruses in Goodnight Saigon. Yeah, I don't know of any other other like when I, when we went to the concert at Fenway Park on the way home, all I could think was listing song after song that he didn't even get to. And they were they were enormous hits and incredibly catchy. And I wonder if there's. I can't think of any other artist who's been as prolific as far as he has more hits than Elton John. Yeah. Uh, Wait, first of all, you're talking about the Fenway, the recent one. Yes. Yeah. You just went, you, you're the first person we know that saw him back live in concert since COVID. Oh yeah. 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 Was that phenomenal? The Fenway park. He was incredible. And I couldn't believe how he could still hit all the notes. Like I've seen, I saw Aerosmith was Steven Tyler as long ago as 10 years ago, and he couldn't hit the notes he once did. And of course, David Lee Roth can't hit those notes with, with Van Halen. I saw in 2012, I think nobody can hit those notes. And Billy Joel was still hitting them. Well, we've been talking about that. First of all, we we're trying to get actually the guy that's his accompanist now, because I went to high school with him or as a ranger, they do it in a lower key, but he's still hitting the notes, but he smoked a lot. Which bothers oh. me on a like such a level because you know Cold Spring Harbor. I mean, his voice is angelic. And yeah, but it they bothers also- me when you see somebody with that gift smoke like that. It drives me crazy. But right, he's still hitting most of the notes. Yeah, but he he said that he can't listen to Cold Spring Harbor because they had sped up his voice. Yeah, yeah. he gets. Maybe very you should try that now. Just have him speed it up again. Yeah, and he'll sound just like classic Billy Joel. I yes, can't but- believe you went to that. That must have been great. Oh my gosh, Fenway it was- Park. It was awesome. And we had great seats because my manager's company also represents Billy Joel. So I got really good seat (laughs) and and it was it was amazing. And he played a lot of deep cuts off of off of 52nd Street. So that was really that was really cool. He played Zanzibar and a a half a mile away. Wow. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Well, that's that's the other thing, too. We we always talk about like, first of all, when I used to go to the concerts when he would have the new album out. So I went to, you know, everything since Glass Houses. I've seen every concert. Wow. And it's unbelievable how this is the only guy I know where you're waiting for his new album song. You know, like you're sitting there waiting for him to play Allentown. You're waiting for him to play uh, Uptown Girl or uh, the the other one to tell her about it off his new album. That's (laughs) it. That's like nobody has that. Paul McCartney doesn't have that. No, I mean, that I guess that's the only guy because he was in the Beatles who is still performing, who has hits like Billy Joel. Right. But he but when he plays off his new album, people give him the polite golf clap. (laughs) 
Whereas Billy, you're like, I'm looking forward to something off the river of dreams or something. You know, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like you said, the massive hits where he's playing, you know, you're, you're like, well, he didn't play this and he didn't play that because it's it, we, we always wonder why he doesn't play like why, if he's going through his list of songs, why he doesn't play like we, like we don't care for it. But like Code of Silence, why doesn't <laughs> he invite Cindy Lauper on stage one day? I mean, he's got so many hits yeah. that he could just play out of nowhere. Like once in a while, he'd be like, hey, why don't we try that today? Yeah, because every episode we talk about how many times he's played each song live because there are websites online where you can see those stats. And there's so many songs in his catalog that he just still hasn't even gotten to or hasn't gotten wow. to in the last 40 years. Yeah, with all the new fans, he could do an entire set list of songs no one's ever heard of and people would think they were brand new. It's, it's yeah. fascinating. It's so it's so true. I mean, there was one song that that a friend of mine brought up recently from from the All Dogs Go to Heaven. Is that is that the movie? Uh, no, Oliver, Oliver and Company. Company. Oliver and Company. Okay. Right. He played it was a dog, an though. You were, movie. you were right. Yeah. <laughs> it was an animated movie. And I guess it was a, a song with the Rodney Dangerfield that was in the movie, too. No, you, you. I think. Wait, was I think? No, you're thinking of Rover Dangerfield and Oliver oh. and Company. I think it's two separate. We've oh, been okay. over this because we <laughs> thought the same thing. <laughs> OK, so so there was a song in that. That's a lot of people's favorite. Yeah, but that's that, that song, song he didn't write though. He just he sang it for the soundtrack, oh, but it was someone but, else's song. Yeah, what was oh, it, okay. Elon? You know what it is? No, I have no idea. Oh yeah, yeah. We 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 still have been covering the songs that he sings that other people wrote, but we put them in the wrap ups. Not we only are covering the songs that he wrote. I see. Uh, and then we even go into ones that weren't released, you know, unreleased as long as he wrote them. But then we also do cover the ones he sings, like that. Oliver and Company one or something. Yeah, we'll like get that. to it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's not yeah. funny that people want to see that song. But, you know, also, I told you we had uh, Dennis Blair on. Right. Uh, who, you know, who a lot of people didn't know, you know, he wrote the movie Easy Money. So then again, with our ages, how great was it that Billy Joel and Rodney Dangerfield were together, like two of my heroes combining together? It was like a dream come true. Yeah, it's incredible. And there's also a great Billy Joel song, the, the, the Mulberry Street song in, in Pope of Greenwich Village, which is a very underrated 80s movie. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. But that's with uh, well, Bert, Bert uh, the one from Rocky is in it. Uh, he plays the yeah, mob Bert, boss, right? Bert Young and, and Julie and Roberts. Uh, Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts, right? I get them all wrong. And who's it? Treat Williams, right? No. No? Oh, I got it wrong. The substitute. Yeah. Who's the, who's the lead guy then? Oh, it's Julie Roberts, Eric Roberts, then. Yeah. They took my fucking thumb, Charlie. Right. That's the yeah. one. Right? <laughs> but but also or, or was Mulberry Street also in an episode of Moonlighting when we were growing up? Yes. Yeah. They had a whole dance number to open up an episode. It was like a dream sequence dance number. And Bill, okay. um, Dave hates it. Yeah, he I can't. Like he it. hates that song, I think, because of that scene in in Moonlighting. But I like the song a lot because I never saw that scene until we were talking okay. about it for the podcast. Yeah, and they I mentioned like the street he grew up on, too. That's why he likes it. Yeah, he mentions Grand Street. That's my street. So, uh, you know, you have to. Yeah, like I like that song. Maybe it wasn't Mulberry Street that was in Pope of Greenwich Village, but there was a Billy Joel song and it was it was great. I mean, the, I think the timeline works out, so it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder what made him decide I'm going to shut off this fountain of hits we've been talking about it for a long time uh you know we just did famous last words which is the last song he ever wrote for an album right and it, it says it all in that song actually he goes these this is it i've said what i had to say and i'm out plus 
poor management for so many years, the the all that stuff. I, I think it just turned them off. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It kind of reminds me of I don't, I don't know how big into baseball you are, but I, I just reread this biography of Sandy Koufax and he's our favorite. Yeah, he had the best five years of any pitcher ever, pretty much, and then retired at 30 or 31 or very young at the top of his game. And part of it was all the fame involved in being that. And I mean, also his arm was was shot, but also he just wasn't excited about all the attention. Yeah, he didn't care for it. And we always say, and you know, the great thing for for us, of course, the fact that he refused to play on Yom Kippur, which is a real, you know, <laughs> badass statement back what then. A hero. But we wonder if he wasn't the best, if he wasn't in the Jacob Degrom category, would he be able to have gotten away with that? And you know, that's the question, of course. But because his status was so big, he took a shot, and it's so awesome. And uh, what a yeah, what a great guy. But you excellent point. He retired at the top of his career. I guess a lot of people. Usually you don't see that with, uh, well, you see it a lot in sports, but you don't see it with musicians a lot. You see it on TV shows. I always think of Carl Reiner leaving the Dick Van Dyke show and saying, let's just do five years, marry Tyler Moore, People, th- things like that. They just said, let's go out on top. Yeah. You know, Seinfeld. But uh, yeah, with a musician, it's, it's who's definitely in his prime and just writing. Yeah. It's very odd. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. That self-aware to know this is probably the peak and I'm not going to push it. And how many bands do you know that say that? And then they instantly come back like the who or, you know, people <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, they well, won't it took, stop. It took the who like 24 years to put out a new album after their last one in 82. So they had at least like a long break. But Billy's surpassed everybody. He's at what now? Like 30, almost 30 years since the last album. Yeah. And he's still so, resisted. Elon, how old were you? I'm sure you've talked about this. How old were you when River of Dreams came out? Were you born? Yeah, so I was nine when River of Dreams came out. So I remember like seeing Billy Joel playing it on SNL. So like we were actually just talking about this recently. Like for me, Billy Joel was still like a current artist. And then when I discovered that he had this really long past, it was kind of interesting because it's like he kind of bridged the gap between like these guys that I love from the 70s. But then he was also still there when I was a kid getting into music in the 90s. Yeah, it's funny because I was at that performance from SNL. That's why we we talked about it because Sarah... Silverman, who was our guest uh, during the seas, was on the show at the time. And she told us this amazing story, which I didn't know because it was a special night for me because Billy Joel was, you know, on the show. And then I remember she was in this sketch, but apparently she had written a sketch that got cut that day for John Malkovich and it got cut. And I'm like, oh, my God, that must have been the worst day for you, where it was the best day for me because I got to see yeah. Billy Joel play live. And she's like, oh, that was the worst day. For me. It was a I didn't know that story. Or maybe she told me and I was like. This is the best day of my life. She's like, well, I don't want to bother him. He's having a good time. Oh man, it's <laughs> such friend. a that show is such a, a bummer. I yeah. But you had a good time at the at the parties when you went? Oh, I never had a bad time at one of those SNL parties. I was, I mean, it was just the best. And just seeing everybody and just, you know, sometimes, you know, mostly my friends were on the show or everybody was so nice and just ready to party and you know getting drunk like the last time i did it was when sarah was hosting the show and went to the after party with kate beckinsdale and uh, it's like i mean jesus christ right that was like you walked wow. in with her it was amazing she was so cool and so beautiful and then i you know said sarah doesn't like when i drink but i'm like at the after party i'm going for it so uh i got really <laughs> drunk and she starts talking to M- martin short and i push her out of the way 
and I say, hey, oh, my God. And I start to cry because I worship him. And he's like, what's going on? And she goes, oh, this is my friend. And if he wasn't really drunk right now, you guys would probably hit it off and be best friends. But I I couldn't help myself. He was my hero. And but still, never a bad time at those parties. Never a bad time. They were so much fun because everybody's just in a good mood and ready to. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've never been or been invited and i i have to say i would uh absolutely dread it i guess you would but i don't know maybe you wouldn't i i see you hosting snl soon so <laughs> no but the thing is is that i don't drink and i don't do any drugs huh? and and oh, i'm so. really yeah, i'm really anxious so i think it would be a nightmare <laughs> maybe i guess because sarah's the same way in the sense of not drinking so um i don't know i don't know maybe if you're hosting it's different but for me, I just, you know, I like the drinking aspect of it. So, But it was fun, you know, especially being younger and not having friends that were in these kind of positions to see all these celebrities yeah. you know, once in a blue moon that, you, you know, especially being part of that show that I grew up on to be a part of it was also very exciting as well. You know, yeah. to actually be at one of these famous parties. Yeah, of course. Meeting Mark. Meeting Martin Short. I mean, that guy's unbelievable. Oh, he's he is my hero. So I was crying, literally crying because I couldn't yeah. believe it. And uh, he's he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's interesting that that both times when you blew opportunities to meet great people, it was because of one of your addictions and you have no interest in facing up to them. That's hilarious. <laughs> I never thought about it. This is what the podcast is really about, Dave. <laughs> We made up this whole thing about uh, Billy Joel, and we knew so when we got right. to the G's, we could finally well, get Gary on to confront you about this. Yeah, this is an the, intervention. Way, the way I look at it in my mind to make myself feel better is I'm like, oh, I'll run into him again. And then I can say, hey, do you remember that last time I met? I'm sorry about that. I don't know what happened. <laughs> so that's the way I convince myself in my head. It's completely fine. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I do that all the time. I, I don't care. It's still an awesome time for me. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I mean, a story like that where you're telling Billy Joe to be quiet because you have a gambling addiction. I mean, where, where, where are you going to find that kind of comedy? <laughs> the song Big Shot could be about you. <laughs> well, I have been to Elaine's. Gary, did you ever get to go to Elaine's in its day? The restaurant? Oh, what is it like? Well, I went there, I guess, in around 2000. So it was kind of over. But Elaine was still there. Wow. So, you know, going there where Woody Allen and Billy Joel talk about it was very exciting either way. And yeah. it was pretty cool. And you did always see people. But, you know, I saw it past its prime. Right. But it was still great. And I knew the head chef there, which was even funny. I thought that was the coolest thing. We used to hang out at this other bar together. And he told me it was the head chef in Elaine's. And I said, isn't Elaine's not known for its good food? And he's like, why don't you shut up? I told you to <laughs> give you a slap. Uh, <laughs> but, it, you know, it's exciting to go to those kind of places, being not just a Billy Joel fan, but a Woody Allen movie fan. And, you know, all the things where they talk yeah. about that kind of stuff i never went to studio 54 obviously way too young for that uh, old for that or young for that but um you know, i feel like someday those... someday people will discuss the comedy seller in those terms oh absolutely i was talking mm-hmm. to wayne fetterman the other day who wrote the book the history of comedy recently and we were talking about how it started and that's a fascinating story how they started doing comedy at the olive tree yeah, which was, I think, Bill Grunfest said, hey, do you right. mind if I do an open mic here? Something yeah. like that, you know, and yeah. yeah, that should that should be that's a show. You're absolutely yeah. right. Comedy Cellar yeah. is a fascinating story in itself. 
Yeah. yeah. Especially for like my generation of comics, like we really like revere the place so much because we didn't know it when it was a dingy place. Like it's always in my life, it's always been like the place for the best stand up comedy. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not it's it's sort of like how people used to talk about going on the Johnny Carson show where they would say it was revered, but you would get there and the the chairs were old and they were and it smelled like smoke and it was threadbare. And that's kind of like that. I sit stand in the comedy cellar and I'm having the time of my life and I'm thinking, how did this little hole in the wall become the greatest thing? I mean, it's, it's impossible to maintain the appearance it's because there's so many people out there all the time, but it's, it's, uh, it's miraculous. It is. You're absolutely right. It really is a hole in the ground and yet it yeah. is uh, the place to be. Yeah, for all of us and that that thank God for the comedy seller and my birthday that we were able to see you. Yeah, thank you for hanging out with me and Ilan on my birthday. Yeah, that was really really cool. Really meant a lot to me. So just tell us about the Carnegie Hall gig. That's unbelievable. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I was supposed to do it before the the pandemic, so I never even got to announce pandemic. Yeah, I like to pretend I'm from Mars, (laughs) which was a which was a bummer. So I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm able to do it and it's the, the best part is that it's the first venue I've ever performed at where my my family has heard of it before. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you something, folks, if you don't I mean, if you don't know about Gary, I will tell you this, that I mean, we've been friends for a long time, but a lot of times, you know, I'm friends with a lot of comics and a lot of times I will go see my friends who are comics do full sets, you know, because I only get to see them do 15, 20 minutes a night, but I will go to travel to see some of my friends do full sets. And I went, uh, I don't know, I guess about seven years ago to see Gary perform. I took my niece. Uh, it, was the, four, it was four years ago. I Was it maybe? Well, she's in two years later. So she graduated. That was her freshman year. I want to say it was six years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went to see him at the Stress Factory in New Brunswick and you I know I've told you this already, but you blew me away. I mean, I knew you were already good, but to see you do a full 45 minutes to an hour and this, you know, I thought it was a different level of standup that you were going to this next level, which clearly you have, because now then everything after that has been amazing. The HBO special and everything and the Carnegie Hall. So I don't know, maybe there was a difference in your act that I certainly spotted. And I uh, just think you're wonderful and really next level of the kind of comedy that I prefer and like, and you're just a great a guy and a great friend. And I appreciate oh, you coming on today too. Oh, that makes me really happy. And it was, it was really nice to to spend your birthday with you and to hear that you love me like that. It makes me very happy. Uh, you know how I feel about you. Yeah. I was there even when you were down, <laughs> I yes. will always be your friend. Yes. Oh, I appreciate that. And and the same goes for you, Dave. And, and, uh, and I, and I, and I feel like Elon will be somebody that we'll be friends with for a long time too. I felt that way too. When so. I met him, I just, I didn't even know how, if he was any good at comedy. And I was like, this, he looks like a great guy. <laughs> yeah. And I just said, let's be friends. I swear. That's the way it happened. Right on. I didn't. Yeah. Even yeah. We were before. just hanging out at the comic strip and I, I, he just had a feeling or something. And then luckily I was, I was, like, I was funny when he finally, yeah, I was like, thank God. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I hope he's funny because yeah. then we could be friends forever. So oh, that's awesome. Gary, thank you so, thank you much, so much for, for coming inclu- on. Thanks so much for including me in this. And, and I'll, uh, I'll come back again someday. Good. We would like that very much. Gary yeah, Goldman on Billy Joel, A to Z. Thanks,